of Human Bondage by William Somerset Maugham Chapter 5 Philip came gradually to know the people he was to live with, and by fragments of conversation, some of it not meant for his ears, learned a good deal both about himself and about his dead parents. Philip's father had been much younger than the vicar of Blackstable. After a brilliant career at St. Luke's Hospital, he was put on the staff, and presently began to earn money in considerable sums. He spent it freely. When the parson set about restoring his church and asked his brother for a subscription, he was surprised by receiving a couple of hundred pounds. Mr. Carey, thrifty by inclination and economical by necessity, accepted it with mingled feelings. He was envious of his brother because he could afford to give so much. Pleased for the sake of his church, and vaguely irritated by a generosity which seemed almost ostentatious. Then Henry Carey married a patient, a beautiful girl but penniless, an orphan with no real relations but of good family. And there was an array of fine friends at the wedding. The parson, on his visits to her when he came to London, held himself with reserve. He felt shy with her and in his heart he resented her great beauty. She dressed more magnificently than became the wife of a hard-working surgeon, and the charming furniture of her house, the flowers among which she lived even in winter, suggested an extravagance which he deplored. He heard her talk of entertainments she was going to, and as he told his wife on getting home again, it was impossible to accept hospitality without making some return. He had seen grapes in the dining room that must have cost at least eight shillings a pound, and at luncheon he had been given asparagus two months before it was ready in the vicarage garden. Now all he had anticipated was come to pass. The vicar felt the satisfaction of the prophet who saw the fire and brimstone consume the city which would not mend its way to his warning. Poor Philip was practically penniless, and what was the good of his mother's fine friends now? He heard that his father's extravagance was really criminal, and it was a mercy that Providence had seen fit to take his dear mother to itself. She had no more idea of money than a child. When Philip had been a week at Blackstable, an incident happened which seemed to irritate his uncle very much. One morning he found on the breakfast table a small packet which had been sent on by post from the late Mrs. Carey's house in London. It was addressed to her. When the parson opened it, he found a dozen photographs of Mrs. Carey. They showed the head and shoulders only, and her hair was more plainly done than usual, low on the forehead, which gave her an unusual look. The face was thin and worn, but no illness could impair the beauty of her features. There was in the large, dark eyes a sadness which Philip did not remember. The first sight of the dead woman gave Mr. Carey a little shock, but this was quickly followed by perplexity. The photographs seemed quite recent, and he could not imagine who had ordered them. "'Do you know anything about these, Philip?' he asked. "'I remember Mama said she'd been taken,' he answered. "'Miss Watkins golded her. She said, I wanted the boy to have something to remember me by when he grows up. 
Mr. Carey looked at Philip for an instant. The child spoke in a clear treble. He recalled the words, but they meant nothing to him. "'You'd better take one of the photographs and keep it in your room,' said Mr. Carey. "'I'll put the others away.' He sent one to Miss Watkin, and she wrote and explained how they came to be taken. One day, Mrs. Carey was lying in bed, but she was feeling a little better than usual, and the doctor in the morning had seemed hopeful. Emma had taken the child out, and the maids were downstairs in the basement. Suddenly Mrs. Carey felt desperately alone in the world. A great fear seized her that she would not recover from the confinement which she was expecting in a fortnight. Her son was nine years old. How could he be expected to remember her? She could not bear to think he would grow up and forget her utterly. And she had loved him so passionately because he was weakly and deformed and because he was her child. She had no photographs of herself taken since her marriage, and that was ten years before. She wanted her son to know what she looked like at the end. He could not forget her then, not forget utterly. She knew that if she called her maid and told her she wanted to get up, the maid would prevent her and perhaps send for the doctor, and she had not the strength now to struggle or argue. She got out of bed and began to dress herself. She had been on her back so long that her legs gave way beneath her, and then the soles of her feet tingled so that she could hardly bear to put them on the ground. But she went on. She was unused to doing her own hair, and when she raised her arms and began to brush it, she felt faint. She could never do it as her maid did. It was beautiful hair, very fine and of a deep, rich gold. Her eyebrows were straight and dark. She put on a black skirt, but chose the bodice of the evening dress which she had liked best. It was of a white damask, which was fashionable in those days. She looked at herself in the glass. Her face was very pale, but her skin was clear. She had never had much color, and this had always made the redness of her beautiful mouth emphatic. She could not restrain a sob, but she could not afford to feel sorry for herself. She was feeling already desperately tired, and she put on the furs which Henry had given her the Christmas before. She had been so proud of them and so happy then, she slipped downstairs with beating heart. She got safely out of the house and drove to a photographer. She paid for a dozen photographs. She was obliged to ask for a glass of water in the middle of the sitting, and the assistant, seeing she was ill, suggested that she should come another day, but she insisted on staying till the end. At last it was finished, and she drove back again to the dingy little house in Kensington, which she hated with all her heart. It was a horrible house to die in. She found the front door open, and when she drove up, the maid and Emma ran down the steps to help her. They had been frightened when they found her room empty. At first they thought she must have gone to Miss Watkin, and the cook was sent round. Miss Watkin came back with her and was waiting anxiously in the drawing room. She came downstairs, now full of anxiety and reproaches, but the exertion had been more than Mrs. Carey was fit for, and when the occasion for firmness no longer existed... She gave way. She fell heavily into Emma's arms and was carried upstairs. She remained unconscious for a time that seemed incredibly long to those that watched her, and the doctor, hurriedly sent for, did not come. 
It was next day, when she was a little better, that Miss Watkin got some explanation out of her. Philip was playing on the floor of his mother's bedroom, and neither of the ladies paid attention to him. He only understood vaguely what they were talking about, and he could not have said why those words remained in his memory. I wanted the boy to have something to remember me by when he grows up. I can't make out why she ordered a dozen, said Mr. Carey. Two would have done. End of chapter five.